0: The sermon today is based on scripture that comes from the fifth chapter of Matthew, reading from the NIV version, verses 21 through 26. It's Jesus teaches about anger. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment again anyone who says to his brother raka is answerable to the sanhedrin but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there in front of the altar first go and be reconciled to your brother then come and offer your gift settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it when you are still with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison i tell you the truth you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Move to stand to that. That's such a tranquil song and one of uh, maturity, which I think is important as we deal with uh, our subject this morning. Um. I had thought about sharing a funny story at the beginning of all this. You know, a lot of times preachers like to share uh, a funny story to offset the gravity of the subject matter that they are dealing with. I was going to tell a funny story about, a true story, that, that I read about a piano virtuoso who got so fed up with his piano on a stage that uh, it, it started to go out of tune and he got so upset that he, he just stood up and bowed very graciously. People applauded him. He walked off and people were still applauding when he came back in with a, uh, a big axe and began to destroy the piano. And I thought about telling that and building it up, but I thought this is of such gravity. And I think uh, anger is such a serious issue in our world today, in our culture, uh, in America, amongst ourselves, that we need not take it too lightly. So I'd like to just go right on ahead and offer an anger prescription, as it says in the sermon title. You know, Jesus is often called the great physician. You see this in Mark two seventeen. This is where he began to be called the great physician in the history of the church. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The great physician. And Jesus offers us a prescription as to how to deal with anger. By the way, who is that person that comes to mind for you? Jesus offers a prescription for that from this text in the Sermon on the Mount. And one thing a scholar told me many years ago with the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount is that they are not punitive, but prescriptive. That Jesus' words there are not punitive like, you better do this or else I'm going to hunt you down. You better do this or else you're a lousy person. No, they are prescriptive. It is Jesus saying before the fact, before the, the, the sin, he's saying, do it this way. This is better for you. This is a better way to live. This is a better life for you. Now your anger can obviously do harm to others, Proverbs 29, 22 says an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins, but in most cases your anger harms you. When you are angry at someone, it can harm other people. Trust me, it's harming you more, and Jesus knows that, which is why he is offering this prescription beforehand saying, live this way instead. I might have Shared this quote as much as any as I have in the last 10 years here as pastor and the last the times I interimed here. Uh, maybe this quote on anger by Frederick Beekner, who says this Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I had a teacher many years ago, who would always say, I always lose when I lose my temper. you ever had a teacher say that? I always lose when I lose my temper. And in most cases, that is very much the case. Somebody else said anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than on the person on which it is poured. It affects us physically. Uh, Dr. S.I. McMillan identified 51 illnesses that can be attributed to anger. And it's worst, as you know, when we let it fester, inside of us and jesus makes this clear in our passage now first of all is anger a sin is the emotion of anger per se a sin no it's not you know there are 375 times in scripture where either god the father or christ the son get angry over something and it's anger for good reason and it's righteous anger so anger in and of itself is not always bad god is perfect but god gets mad sometimes the Bible doesn't condemn the emotion of anger, but the mishandling of it, the mishandling of it, especially when you hold a grudge and you let it fester, which brings us to our scripture reading. What I'd love for you to do, first of all, is, is pull out your order of worship again when you got to the scripture reading under the cool name of Jim Asobe there. I just want to look at the first two verses there, half of the Verse 22, it says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, I want you to look at where it says anyone who is angry. The word there is a present participle. Uh, It is also of the durative effect is what grammarians say. It's a durative effect. What I'm saying is it connotes continuous action ongoing action probably a better more literal way of saying it is anyone who is continuously angry with someone which i love the new english bible which isn't used a lot but it's a wonderful translation i like the way it is put there because i think it's more correct but i tell you this anyone who nurses anger against his brother or sister if I were to ask you if you ever nursed, your, you ever fed your anger and kind of enjoyed it? Come on, anybody, raise your, no, don't, don't raise your hand, because it's all of us. Have you ever nursed your anger, taken care of it, sort of enjoyed that, though, as Beekner says, really, you were wolfing down yourself, and the skeleton at the feast is you. Jesus is saying in a prescriptive way as the great physician, don't do it that way. Someone has said anger can be like a rhino or a hedgehog. I never heard this, but rhinos are aggressive, and when they're attacked, they charge, you know, uh, leading with their horns. But other people are like hedgehogs. They're more passive. When they're attacked, they withdraw, they curl up into a ball, but they put out their prickly quills. And while hedgehog behavior is more socially acceptable, probably, it's just another form of hurtful controlling behavior. It can can kind of degenerate into passive-aggressive behavior and that kind of thing, but it still works to destroy that person who's thinking they're controlling other people. Well, both rhino and hedgehog anger are harmful and need to be overcome. So let's just offer three prescriptions now from the great physician and his great book about how we deal with anger. And I want to just zero in on three guiding terms, the count The core and the cup. The count, the core, and the cup. Let's look at the count first of all. I don't know if Gil Franks is here, but Gil, are you here? Gil has that marvelous ministry called Life Link. And I think we talked about this a number of weeks ago, that Gil, as he's talking to these inmates in the prisons, those who are about to get out, those who have gotten out, he always has this rule with them to always, whenever they are attacked in some way, uh, verbally by other people or attacked not physically you need to deal with it then but in other ways where you're just angry all of a sudden Gil tells them count to six and he says so many of them will come up to him afterwards and say you know if I had counted to six I wouldn't be in prison right now this wouldn't have even happened I wouldn't have been a terrible perpetrator so he says count to six to inmates in prison Thomas Jefferson said if you are angry count to ten if you are very angry count to one hundred it's a good good way to go. You got to let it cool. Uh, let me just say don't immediately respond to that text, to that post, to that email. Let it cool. You know, don't let yourself get away in directions you don't need to go. I like Proverbs 15.1. It says, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Talking quieter when you're angry can cool it down. It's not denial. It's You're angry, but cal- you know, calm down. Talk more quietly. The louder you talk, the angrier you can get. The quieter you talk, the calmer you can get. I remember reading when I was younger in Life's Little Instruction book, do you remember that bestseller? It said, when you get really angry, stick your hands in your pockets. And I thought, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? But then I thought, no, that's a good way to stop and count and calm down because when you start gesticulating and getting all mad and worked up and everything, it can literally kind of stir you up, right? So when you get angry... Calm down and put your hands in your pockets. But after you calm down, keep in mind that the count will stop, and you need to begin to deal with it. You have a time limit. You know this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I learned it as be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. The NLT says don't sin by letting anger control you. Let, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, you've got to deal with it before you go to sleep. The Bible gives you a time limit. After you count a bit to cool down, and speaking of time, trust that God is going to help you deal with this matter that causes you anger in His time, in His due time. That's tough for us to do. During the fourth century, you had the great uh, desert fathers. One of them was named Sisuus, Sisuus of Egypt. And he had one of his disciples come up to him and say, uh, I was offended by one of our brothers, and I'm going to avenge him. And Sassuah said, don't, don't, don't do that. Please forgive him and let God deal with it in God's due time. And that just got this young guy stirred up even more. And he was like, no, no, I'm going to avenge him. I'm going to get my revenge. I can't wait for God. And, and Sassuah said, okay, let's, let's pray. So they bowed their heads, and there was a long pause. And after that pause, Sisuus set, prayed this prayer. He said, oh God, apparently we no longer need you to take care of us since we can now avenge ourselves. From now on, we can manage our own lives without your help. Thank you. Well, the young man heard this prayer and immediately said, no, I repent. Have mercy on me. I don't want to fight my brother anymore. We got to trust that God will deal with it himself in due time. Stop. Count, let it cool. Then deal with it, but ultimately trust that God is going to deal with it. Years ago, I heard the wonderful African-American preacher, Dr. Frederick Sampson from Detroit, say, don't use your heart as a storehouse for old grudges. God already knows your enemy's address. And I think that's good to take to heart. you got the count, but then you've got the core. You know, the key to forgiving someone isn't a matter of how you feel about the person, It's making a heart commitment that you will no longer hold the offense against him or her. And you can do this. You know why? Because you underwent a heart transplant. You really did. When you became a Christ follower, you were saved. And when you were saved, your heart was regenerated. Your very core was regenerated. You had a new identity, and your identity was no longer in status or your bank account or your achievements or anything else. Your identity is what God thinks about you, what God thinks about you. This is a powerful verse that sometimes we can just go right by. Look at Ephesians 1.4. It's one of the best. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes even before he made the universe really because the world there really means the universe even before he made the universe god loved you and chose you and planned it out that christ would be able to present you holy not because of you but because of christ himself loved you that much that's just astounding that's your new identity So let God be the core of your identity because he is, but are you letting him be the core of your identity? And Jesus gets very um, uh, urgent in the Sermon on the Mount after he talks about anger. And I love the way it is paraphrased in the the message. Look at Matthew 5, 48. This is great. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. Live out your God created identity. Not the identity you're giving yourself or that others are giving you, your God given identity. Because if you do that, you can achieve a point at which you can forgive and no longer be angry. The God who loved you, he thought of you before he thought of the universe. He loved you before he created the universe. Let that sink into your core and guide you as you deal with someone or some situation that has caused you to be mad. You can begin, at least begin the process of forgiving. Sometimes it takes a while. Jesus said to the disciples, what, you must forgive 70 times 7. Sometimes it takes a while, but continue the process of forgiving. Will Williman, whom we know and was a bishop of North Alabama for a time, is back at Duke University, met a woman over in Belfast once whose husband was shot right in front of her, killed by a revolutionary group just because they wanted to make a point. And he found her over a number of days to, to be one of the most Christ-like individuals he had ever met. And he asked her, how did you deal with that? Did, did, you, did you harbor a lot of anger toward these people and whom these people represented? And she said, no, I really didn't. He said, how could you do that? And she said, when I was standing over my lifeless husband, standing over his body, She said, I didn't know what else to do except to pray out loud. And she said, The only prayer I ever really learned was the Lord's Prayer. She said, So I began to say it right there as I was grieving and as I was raging at these men who had killed him. And I started saying it. How does it say it with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. She stopped there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And she said, I found the core of my being at that moment. I found my core. And I realized at that moment, the only way I was ever going to get through this was to forgive these people who did this to my husband. And she said, every single day, I take on that discipline of forgiving and no longer being angry. Talk about someone who knew that she had a heart transplant and had a new core. And Willimon wrote in the book uh, where he talks about this, he said, you know, he just wondered, how could she forgive in this manner? And then he said, I remembered a man who was also killed in cold blood by people who were wanting to make a point. And even as he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about it. On that cross, God's righteous anger was on display. God cared enough about us that it made Him so angry about our sin that He punished us. He punished our sin by taking on our sin. Forgave us in that one dramatic act. He took on that sin. Yes, he was angry at the sin, so angry about the sin out of his care for us, he took it on. That's just mind-bending if you think about it, the love he has for us. How does that song go? Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the blood of Christ I live. If God could be so angry about your sin that he decided to take it on himself, Absorb it for himself that you might not have to deal with it. Surely you and I can find our core and find it in our core to begin to forgive that person for whom we're harboring anger, even right now. It might be a process, but we can do it. So remember the count, cool down, and then begin to deal with it. Remember the core, your new identity in Christ empowers you to be able to forgive and overcome the anger. And finally, there's the cup. I know many of you know of uh, the famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards, which is pretty scary, <laughs> called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let's flip that to another angle and call it God in the Hands of Angry Sinners. You know the proof that we were mad at God? The proof, that just it just shows that we were mad at God because when God finally became vulnerable to us and killable, we killed Him. We were mad at Him and... He took on that undeserved anger. Think about that. He took on that undeserved anger. He also took his deserved anger towards us. We deserved his anger. But not only did he take on our undeserved anger toward him, he took on our deserved anger. He could have paid us back in a devastating way, but he chose not to. And that takes us to the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't it? Remember, Jesus said, Father, if you can take this cup from me, please do. What was that cup? Read it in the Old Testament. It was the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's anger. But Jesus said, No, I'll take it. And later on on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He took on our disordered rage at infinite cost to himself took on our dysfunctional madness. And so we can say, yeah, I've been wronged, I've been wronged, and I'm angry, but you know what, I wronged God, but at infinite cost, he responded to my anger with unconditional gentleness and love. Received our anger and withheld his own and took all of that to the cross, How important to God is our managing anger? Let's look at one more verse, Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. How many people in the world would actually agree with that? They need to. Better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer an entire city. We have the power to conquer our anger. If we count and live out our core identity in Christ, the Christ who took that cup, drank, if you will, the cup of wrath on our behalf, then maybe you and I can really live out what we voice every Sunday here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let us pray. Easier said than done, O God. And sometimes it takes us to forgive time and time again, to overcome some lingering anger, some festering anger that is eating away at us, that has to do with someone who has offended us, done us us wrong, who has let us down. Make us a more grace-giving people, O God. Be thou our vision and our core, And may we be reminded, when we want to feed that anger, may we remember the anger you took on at Golgotha on our behalf. And because of that alone, we have reason to overcome the heat of our madness and give it over to you. That our souls might be quenched and walk upon a new day. Help us to do that beginning now, O God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.